I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. <laughs> and, and that's, that's Grayson. Grayson. And this is Autism Building the Puzzle. One piece at a time. Hi, and welcome to Autism Building the Puzzle, one piece at a time. Sean here with you. I got my wonderful wife, Alex, with me. Hey, everyone. Super excited today. We have an awesome interview coming up uh, with a ABA therapist, uh, Sam. He's got tons of experience, um, not just in ABA, but all different types of, types of uh, psychology, um, group homes, and uh, you know all different age groups. So we're really looking forward to the interview. Super excited about it, and we think uh, we've got a lot of great information coming your way. So let's get started. Welcome, Sam. Thank you for having me. Super excited to have you here. Yes. Um, so just to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what made you get into the ABA field? So um, my background academically, believe it or not, was not ABA. It was just psychology, more specifically uh, social psych and research. And unfortunately, when you come out of school, getting a job in research isn't as easy as, it, <laughs> as you would hope it for it to be. Um, so I started off in an A++ group home. So that's, uh, you know, guys who need a lot, a lot of help um, to kind of simply stay. And I kind of worked my way up in the nonprofit field from just a direct support professional to behavior specialist. And so once that, I think, three or four year period came, I was able to work in ABA and was able to get us a really, really solid supervisor who introduced it to me. And it wound up giving me kind of the backbone of a lot of therapeutic services that I provide now today. Awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, so for some of the parents out there that especially are just starting with ABA, what are some of the most common deficits you've seen since you work with so many different children and you know different age groups and stuff like that? So it's funny, when I hear the word deficits, my thought isn't like, oh, what are the individuals struggling with? To me, it's all about execution, consistency, and actually following through with uh, clinical services, whether it's ABA or any other form of services. Um, I think it's a lot of responsibility, not just on a client, but on a client's family to really take the time to do the homework and the legwork to generalize the therapeutic services in session and out of session. So the deficits usually come from that consistency of services because let's call it as it is, the field has a lot of turnover and you're always getting little bits of information from this kind of therapist and that kind of therapist. and um, it really gets hard over time to be consistent with therapeutic services. And I think that's the biggest deficit. It's not with a child or, a, or even a young adult, you know, you could teach them almost anything. Yeah. And, and whether it's ABA or another kind of therapeutic approach, um, the deficit comes with the lack of maintenance, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, I think when Grayson, especially in the beginning, when we, <laughs> we switched therapists a whole ton of times in the beginning, and we were being told different things from different people all the time. Well, well, no, you're not supposed to be doing it that way. You're supposed to be doing it this way. And as a parent in the beginning, when you don't understand what's going on or you don't have a good knowledge base, you're kind of like, you, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you're not sure who you can really trust, especially when you start getting, you know, uh, information that contradicts each other and, and things like that. So, you know, I can really see how that is definitely a, a problem in the the treatment field so yeah it's it's something that it's uh it's really disheartening you know because you you would hope that 
in time people would learn to work more collectively as far as gathering information and it's not quite there yet we're and i think we're gonna talk about that a little bit later um but you know as the therapist that i am now today you know it was very different back then and looking back i wish i would have generalized more information you know i wish i would have worked more collectively with my peers in the past because that would have made probably the clients and the families more successful back then yeah definitely what type of children benefit the most from ABA, would you say? I say all children. Yeah. I really don't think it's just like children, a, animals, an ASD anything. thing. I don't think it's <laughs> a child with a diagnosis thing. Like, ABA is structure in its purest form. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something that we all benefit as, as a society. Like, we earn, we work hard, we earn, we get, and we enjoy. Yeah. It, you know, that's not something that's limited to a child with ASD. And I think that's such a funny thing that... You know, people think ABA and they think autism right away. Yeah. But a lot of principles used in ABA are generalized to other parts of the world. Like, um, my actual background is organizational psychology, and there's actually a subcategory of ABA called organizational behavior management. Okay. Which it takes the principles of ABA and it applies to a business model. And I, I looked into it, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's, you measure, you quantify, and it brings in a lot of different disciplines. And for me, you know, I think ABA is a really wonderful tool, and it's something that you should use not just with children, but use with adults. Like it's something like I use for myself. It's like, do I do enough push-ups to earn that cookie? You know. It's oh, I do that to Sean. It's you know? silly, but you do it. You hey, know. Hey, hey honey, uh, you can have an extra cookie if you, uh, you know, put your your uh, clothes in the laundry basket. I can and... do it to everybody <laughs> except clean... my dog. If she does something wrong, she gets a treat. <laughs> I'll let you go fishing if you, if you take out the garbage for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, it does work for yes. a lot of different applications. And so I think it's almost limiting to say it's just for people with ASD. I think it's for everybody. Yes. You know, what I find interesting about that is I, I did some a little bit of studying on uh, CBT. And mm -hmm. I feel like there's definitely some correlations in CBT with ABA. And that's that's a huge thing, too. You know, it's funny. I was going through my old thesis stuff, and, you know, the research back then, I think it was, like, 2011, 2008, and they were still saying, like, well, CBT is great. doesn't work as well as ABA, but I know there's been a lot of advancement. There's a lot of adaptation of uh, practice and theory since then. And there, if you do look at the basics of CBT, yeah, there's a lot of backbone of ABA from there. Why? Because there's structure. There's data collection. There's consistent delivery of consistent deliverance of services and that's what aba is so strong with like it gives you that model of how to measure how to keep up with things from a data point uh view and for me that i mean i didn't really understand data until i got to like my later years of school and how important it was but i think that's what makes it so successful because aba is great but there's other models out there and i am particularly a big fan of cbt and if you can work with a client that has the ability to use cbt techniques I am beyond excited. But if mm -hmm. not, ABA is great. Yeah. And I think data collection is very, very important. And that's where ABA differs from, you know, regular therapies like OT and things like that. Unless there is a problem like that we faced with Grayson and behaviorally, mm -hmm. that was the only time that we started taking data yeah. was to see it on that paper and, you know, get the BCBA from the state involved. Um, so that's very, very important because I think putting it on paper as opposed to just saying, well, you know, I think this happened like three days ago, but then maybe yesterday he was good. That way it's all charted and you can see what's, you know, decreasing yeah. or getting better. Yeah. And with like, behavior and things. And data is important. It's never really as perfect as you want it or think it is. 
Um, cause even in like, I know OTs and speech therapists that do use data, not as intensely as ABA, but you know, it's something, it gives you something to look back on because, oh, we see this, this, this in here. And you being the parents, you could probably more accurately go to the day. Well, this day he didn't sleep as well. This day, you know, maybe he didn't eat the extra meal. Like there's other little variables that, you know, you kind of forget about sometimes. Right. Like that, that affect it, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, let's think about like the, the person-centered approach. Look at the whole person. Um... That goes in a lot to the planning, and I think that's something that we really are going to talk about too. I think is that person-centered approach. It's huge, and ABA has actually brought that in. I know the Bog Center; um, it's a great act, uh, resource for people in New Jersey, where it, there's a lot of free trainings and seminars that bring in positive behavior support, which is essentially another form of ABA. Everybody defines ABA a little bit differently. So, what what is ABA to you? Oh, man. Well, once again, saying, like, I'm not, I don't have my master's in applied behavior analysis. I don't have my uh, BCBA, and it's not, I'm not even sure if it's something I really want to pursue. But for me, ABA, um, it's just a really well-structured approach to understanding what's happening to increase functionality, uh, decrease maladaptive behaviors, and kind of give someone the ability to learn skills um, that may struggle doing it in a more naturalistic setting. ABA, once applied in that kind of like hyper-intensive manner, it sometimes looks a little cold, but I, I have seen a success. Um, so for me, ABA is just, you know, it's a, it's a foundation. For me, ABA is the foundation. Why is this happening? What's the, uh, you know, what's the function of the behavior? Like, what's the rate? What's the, the duration? All those like kind of little things that I need to get started, that's what ABA is for me. It's a foundation of services. Awesome. Um, so, tell me about the most challenging experience you've encountered throughout oh, your time. Um, I've had a lot of challenging sure. experiences. Well, like, I'm sure. <laughs> I've uh, like remember I said I worked for two nonprofits. One of them, one of the agencies was immensely behavioral. Like that is what it was. It was a behavioral agency. Um, and you know what's funny? As much as I've been hit, bit, struck, y- you know, all those like kind of day in and day out kind of things kind of the, one of the hardest thing is kind of just is showing a family hey this is what's going on this is what we should do and trying to convince them this is what we should do i think that's something that's really hard because you have to you have a lot of barriers to kind of overcome there's like uh, social standards there's political views there's uh, religious views and i sometimes these things just don't overlap as evenly as you think oh. And it, it gets sticky, man, because, yeah. you know, when I'm thinking I'm trying to help someone and giving them my clinical opinion, I might be insulting them because that's something they were raised with. So it's that yeah. fine line of, like, giving them the data without being insulting. And I think that's something that, you know, I know I had a, tr- a very hard time with in my young career. And even there's been times, you know, I want to say in this whole pandemic, too, like, how do we... You know, provide these intensive services without stepping on feet, make it seem not making it seem cold or insulting their traditions or their their cultures or their rituals. Yeah. I think that's something that I, I really uh, I think it's a really big struggle, and um, I'm not sure if I'm the only therapist that sees a lot of these struggles, but I, I know I professionally have come across them more times than I really want to acknowledge. Oh yeah, it's a it's a really unfortunate thing to see. You know, it's I never even thought about that. And it's hard because you don't know when you're going to be you know, in that situation. Yeah. Being, you know, a different perspective, obviously, uh, being a parent, only having one child with autism and mm. living through 
that experience, you having all of those different perspectives, I never really thought about how, you know, one family culture from one religion, you know, one religion would be completely different than treating another family in a completely different religion and yeah like the cultural competency that i had to kind of acquire was a lot it was a bit shocking for me because you know my original mentality was like well this is the science and this is how it's going to be and that doesn't work like you know the science is important and it's the biggest most like such a huge part of what i do but at the end of the day not everyone's buying it and that's okay and like that's the thing like it's okay not to buy into it my job now is to really help them show them well in this how, how can I make you feel comfortable? How can I make it seem like you, this is working for you and your family and your child or your young adult or your friends or like, you know, that's been the, one of the hardest things. And I think we've done really well in the field to kind of learn how to do this more efficiently. And I think once you get past that barrier and they actually see the changes that their children are going through and how much it is helping with what you're doing, I think some of them kind of come around, you know, because I, I've even personally, I mean, we've had therapists that, you know, you say something and you're like, no, this is my child. I know him, you know, Mm -hmm. but sometimes you have to take a step back and say, well, wait a minute. Okay. That may be true. I may know him, but I have to listen to the other side too, you know, and sometimes, yeah, I didn't agree with everything, but all that mattered, what was best for Grayson at that time. So that's that's not less for me. I give you good. I give you guys a lot of credit. Like, because, you know, as the therapist, I see what the, the client's enduring. And I, I'm, I'm there for, like, what, two, three hours at a time. But I, I'm gone. And then, you know, you guys have to manage the rest of the day. And you have to manage your son and your own emotions and your own opinions of what the client and the therapist are doing in their own kind of way. It's a lot. It's a lot to kind of handle. And I, I give a lot of families credit. You know, I don't think uh, therapists ever kind of acknowledge that. Like, I, I didn't see it a lot growing up or my, in my young career. But now that I'm kind of getting towards the middle part of my career hopefully i'm seeing like there needs to be a little more respect for the families as far as what they're feeling throughout the sessions i agree and you know i've always had i have seen you know we've had sometimes therapists come and go and you know one time we um had a therapist and you know i thought when he walked in okay you know he seems nervous i'm gonna take you know because i'm sure it's really hard walking into a home and not knowing not just just being uncomfortable you know what i mean so i've always tried to go out of my way and make that person comfortable because i can't imagine just going and not knowing the mom the dad and here you are you know giving the child demands and you don't know how they're going to react yeah and then the biggest thing i think too is when you leave i think the hardest thing is when the parents aren't consistent Mm -hmm. and it's not continuing the therapy at home during Mm -hmm. their time when there's no therapist and and that is confusing to the child yeah, and every parent's been guilty of it at times because it's just it's it's very difficult to maintain the consistency all the time. You know what I mean? Cause it, you're it's not impossible. Look, things I, that you're not feeling good one day. Yeah. This is going on. You're under pressure yeah. with this and that, and you know. So and it's impossible the first to, to be that, perfect so. too. Like, look, I say my wife and I with our cats. We'll say the same, we'll say the complete opposite thing at the same moment of how to handle the cat. And like, it just, it happens. And like one day I'm like, okay, you can walk on the counter. And then I say, I'm like taking my hat off and throwing it at it. And like, get off the counter. I cook on there. I'm going to get people sick. Like, you know, it just, it happens. Yeah. We're human. We're all too human. And I, I think that's something that we, we need to kind of reground ourselves with. 
We're all human. Yeah. Therapist is human. Families are human. A child. A young adult. Very human as well. Um, yeah. It happens. Well, like, you know, that leads me world. to, like, thinking about the holistic approach. the And not just holistic in terms of the child or the patient, but holistic in terms of the whole family unit. Yeah. And I, I think that's some place that the medical community would be really... Uh, they would be really good if they went and looked at that a little bit more because I think they'd make yeah. more progress. You know? I, I agree. And the family model is essentially that, um, you know, how, how the family dynamics work in favor or even against uh, the care of the client. Um, and once you were to be able to look at those things and kind of be like, okay, this is the family dynamic. What do I need to do to help every part, not just the client, but everyone in that unit? Does this person need a little more support here? Do they need more information? Do they need a little bit more space? Do they need, like, there's a lot of dynamics in the household. And, you know, if a, if a uh, clinician is able to kind of manage that more efficiently, I think they could be more successful in the homes. However, I think it's something that, I know New Jersey's trying to move in that direction. I know they really are. Um, I do know that the family model is strong here. I also know the person-centered approach is being pushed really hard, and I really like the person-centered approach. Um, I forgot what the, the branch of psychology is, or even ABA. It's positive behavior. That's it. Positive behavior supports. I talked about the Box Center earlier, and I know in the nonprofits that was the basics. Like you needed to go through the state trainings to be a behavior specialist, and the things I learned in those classes were wonderful. Yeah, because it was ABA, but it was more person centered in a way. It was very holistic. Um, look at the whole person. What do they need? Not just behaviorally, but what else do they need? What social needs do they have? What emotional needs do they have? And they weren't, we weren't given ways to help those things, but we were also trained to be more aware of them. Yeah. That's something I didn't learn in a classroom. Yeah. In today's world, like, we've become so, um, you know, in the corporate professional world, we've become so specialized mm -hmm. that we've lost sight of how each of those specializations connect to one another. And yeah. Affect one another in many ways. You know what I mean? Definitely. Um, and, you know, obviously, I think. ABA and, you know, is no different, so. We'll be right back after a word from our show sponsors. Here at Building the Puzzle, we understand how difficult and challenging it can be for parents with autistic children that have communication delays. Well, if you're in New Jersey, you're in luck. The speech paradigm has you covered. They're helping children overcome speech challenges all across New Jersey. They offer both telehealth services as well as in-home therapy. Please reach out to them. You can uh, take a look on their website at www.thespeechparadigm.com. You can reach out by phone at 732-203-5268. You can also find them both on Facebook and Instagram as well at The Speech Paradigm. We are also sponsored by Grayson & Company. Uh, making homemade toys. They have everything from wooden homemade toys to sensory bins, sensory boards, all different kinds of toys for your children. Uh, they can be reached at grayson-company.myshopify.com as well as on Facebook and Instagram as well as Etsy. On Etsy they can be found at Grayson and Company Toys. And now back to the show. Great. So what would you say three things are that parents should know about ABA? Oh, I mean, there's a lot about ABA people should know. Um, <laughs> I, I, we were talking about it earlier. There's many forms of ABA. You know, we know it's truest extent. You know, we're looking uh, 
from the Skinner, the Thorndike, um, Watson even, like, you know, the foundation of ABA as it grew, it, it became this wonderful thing. Um, ABA has taken on many forms over the years. And the ABA that was used way back when is different than the ABA now today. And I think that's something that people should really know about. It's not as, uh, for lack of better words, as barbaric as it was back then. Because right. in many ways it was. It looks very cold. It was very, you know, scientific, very sterile. Um, ABA is, isn't as, as sterile as it used to be. So it is more person-centered. And I think I, the agencies that I've worked for more recently, I really understand that. And I, I'm happy to see that uh, social growth and that professional growth. Um, another thing about ABA, it can be really intense. It's really intensive and it can be very invasive. And I know we always try, try to start from least to most invasive, but ABA can be very, very invasive. And it even today can still look uh, very cold and very unhumane at times. That isn't the goal, though. And I want people to really understand that. that we, We're not maliciously doing these things sometimes. It's just part of the procedure. Like, if I see a child cry and I'm just not responding to it, it, it doesn't make me a cold or bad person. I don't care because when I see my clients cry... I die inside a little bit, and my my thoughts are like, what have I done to make this kid upset? And I know what I've done, but it, it's hard. It's a hard thing to manage sometimes as the client, as I'm sorry, as the uh, professional. But you do it, you endure it, you have that straight face, and you redirect the client to reinforce the more appropriate things. Um, it, it can be cold. ABA can look cold, yeah. and I understand that. That's something that I think a lot of people should be prepared for. That's the the best thing to be prepared for, but it's something to to know. Third. ABA, it's great. It's wonderful. It literally is the backbone of what I'm doing today. But it's a tool and tool should not the toolbox. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the holistics. We were talking about the person-centered approach. Um, I am limited as an ABA specialist. I'm limited as a behavior tech. I don't have the training of a speech-language pathologist, an occupational therapist, a physical therapist. I, I don't have a PhD in psychology. Yes, there's a lot of overlap in these things. And ABA can really touch upon a lot of things in the OT and speech world. But at the end of the day, their behavior. And I think there needs to be a better understanding that ABA can do a lot of things. But sometimes you need the other specialists. And I I know professionally I've struggled to, to meet a good mix of BCBAs that understand that and BCBAs that are like, nope, BCBA rules the world and it can do everything. Yeah. I, I, I get scared of that, you know, because not everyone can do everything. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky we're currently, the supervisors I have and the guides I have, they're very well-rounded, but I have been in the past with BCBAs that I look at them with, with I say, disgust. Yeah. You're one part of the puzzle, right? You're one part, not the whole thing. Um, we got to respect the other forms of care and we really need to work collectively rather than I do this, you do this, da, da, da. It, it's, it's petty. It's yeah. petty and it's childish. Yeah. The ego gets in the way sometimes. Oh, it Absolutely. does. Um, and I, I, like I said, now that I'm kind of later in my career, I've seen us move away from that. But early on in my career, man, there was a lot of ego there and that's why I didn't last very long in those other companies because I was like, I'm not dealing with this. This isn't, this isn't about me. It's about the client. Right. And once... Once that got in the way, once there you got in the way, I, I knew no matter clinically, no matter how much I knew, no matter how successful I was, I, I wouldn't get any further than I was yeah. in those companies or even with the clients because I was going to be stifled by the ego. Yeah. Um, it happens. So uh, to summarize it, ABA is great. 
but it's a tool in the tool shed, not the whole, not the whole thing. And ABA has definitely been life changing. I mean, when we started it for Grayson, you know, we were kind of running out of options at that point, and it was what needed to be done. We needed to get those behaviors under control, and I will say I don't think we could have stopped started at a better time. I mean, we got them right in at three, and it was great because a lot of those behaviors weren't full on habits yet. They were easier to change still struggle and we still struggle today but i couldn't imagine waiting until he was like six or seven and starting aba we're in a completely different place because of because of it yeah i mean he was much more moldable yes absolutely three than he would have been starting uh you know at an older age so yeah that definitely had a huge impact on where we are now compared to where we we could be and it's helped him just all around not just with you know, completing a task or a demand. I mean, with everything at home, you know, having life a routine, skills. life, life skills, skills, brushing his teeth, um, everything important. being in order the way it should be. Um, he's really grown in all of those areas. Yeah, I think it was the perfect time to, to start him in it. Like, it's never too early to get involved in ABA. Never. The earlier you get your child support, the better off they're going to be. I mean, honestly, had I known really, I, I mean, as a first-time mom going through autism, having an autistic child, you don't know about ABA. You don't really know about anything. They kind of walk you through everything, early intervention, and then tell you the next step to do. Had I known about that, he would have been in ABA eight, 18 months. I mean, I probably would have done ABA, OT, but that would have been the most important thing to me, honestly. Because I feel like he's made so much progress through there. And, you know, the OT and the DI were fantastic. They were, like, the basics and mm-hmm. the starting kind of. I know you said ABA's basic basics, but I'm saying just when you're first starting out in that early oh, intervention right. kind of program, ABA, I think, is definitely an important one to include. Yeah, so, Sam, what are some of the things parents should be doing or not doing during therapy? If, you know, should they be more involved? What should they be doing if they're involved, and what maybe should they not be doing? That's a case by case thing, and that and that's that's the thing. Like, um, some families need more involvement, some families need less involvement. It really depends on like what are the functions of the behavior, um, what's the form of reinforcement, um, how often do these behaviors occur with people present or not present? Like, there's so many variables that it's unfair to say like, well, this is what every parent should do. Or it, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. And going back to the family approach, you know, some families need different kinds of supports and some families need to be more present. Some people need to be less present. It happens. And I think families shouldn't be so hyper-concerned of involvement. Take the guidance of the, of the professionals. Um, and if you don't like a professional, get a second opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. Uh, we're not perfect. Like, I said, I'm in the middle of my career. I, I wish I had 10 more years experience on me than I do now. Just be prepared to, you know, learn. Be prepared to learn. I think that's what it comes down to. And I'll say, you know, I was always involved with therapy, and I always was right there. And I think in the beginning it's hard because, you know, you know that it's a new thing that they're going through, and some therapists are just coming in. They don't have a full understanding yet, so you kind of try to help a little bit. Mm-hmm. But now how I am... Like with ABA, I take a step back because I have to because he's at a certain place now where I am just more of a distraction to him. So now I kind of take a back seat and let the therapist do, you know, what they need to do instead of me jumping in and being right next to Grayson and being like, okay, well, no, let's not do that how I used to do. And that's hard. I give you a lot it of is. credit for it that because like that's your 
That's your baby. Like, you want to love your child. You want them to feel safe at school all times. And to see your child crying is awful. Yeah. Like, yeah. it is it, traumatic. It, it, and it It's hard. traumatic for the mom. Yeah. It can be traumatic for the child. It's traumatic for the therapist. It's like, yeah. oh. But it, it's tough. It is really tough. And it takes a lot of strength for families to know when to get involved, when not get involved, and to really take the guidance of the therapist. So as I said earlier, this is not tough. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean this, is, this is very tough. This is not easy, is what I meant to say. And, you know, you're right, because sometimes, like, depending on how I am, if it's an emotional day, and, you know, Grayson's in ABA, and he turns back, and he looks at you, and he's got his arm out, and he's like, Mom! And you're like, oh, I just gotta run to him. But you know you can't, because that you have to follow through. And when the behavior is over, or the meltdown, and he completed the task, or whatever it may be, then I can come in with that compassion. But sometimes it's heartbreaking, and there's been days, Sean will look at me some days and say, why are you crying? I'm like, he's crying, like, I wanna help him, but I can't, you know? And sometimes I just have to walk away, because I'm like, I can't handle Folks, I'm not cold-hearted. I've just, <laughs> I've gotten to the point where I've been going through it long enough that I realized that- Oh, well, same. Being a parent is not easy, and sometimes we have to yeah. do things that kill us inside but it's the yeah, right thing 100%. to do because it's in the best, the best interest of our kids yeah it's uh, like i said I, I give families a lot of credit this is not easy what else would you want to inform parents about what we haven't already touched on i want parents to really know that it there are a lot of services available but the services that are there are hard to access and I think families and parents need to learn that you need to be so, so, so tenacious to access those resources, to access those services, um, and not to give up on your on yourself or on your child or loved one. There are good therapists out there. There are good organizations out there. And they might not be easy to find, you would think you just Google it and then it pops right up. It may not be like that. Just stay vigilant. Um, do whatever you think you can to take care of yourself and yourself too, because you're a big part of this, and your loved ones. You gotta you gotta fight a little bit sometimes, and I get that. Yeah. Um, whether it's because you don't agree with the therapist or you feel something's not quite right, um, maybe you're not feeling well. Just advocate. I think advocation is one of the biggest things that a family member can do in whatever form, whether it's just a simple phone call, just vetting out other pieces of information. There's a lot of a lot of information nowadays. You know, we have this wonderful worldwide web of information, but we're starting to get a little inundated. And I think parents really need to be careful of where they go, where they get the information, and they should really, really, really be careful. Um, I really want to see people succeed and sometimes that information can set them back and also not to get overwhelmed by it. I, I really yeah. I really want parents to focus on their health and their child's health and that could take a lot of money that could take a lot of forms. Um, as I said, like I'm an ABA therapist right now, but I, I am more kind of uh, Rogerian for lack of better words, more humanist. Uh, take care of yourself. You can't take you can't take care of yourself. Can't take care of your child. Agreed. Self-preservate. Make sure that you're okay because if you're your best version of yourself, you'll be that much better for your child and that much better not today but tomorrow and every day after that. You, you be- took the words right out of my mouth with that. Great, great advice. Great <laughs> advice. 
definitely. You bring the be- you bring a better version of yourself um, to being a parent when you do that when you take a little time to make sure that you're you're taken care of and you're healthy right yeah because you know with a child with special needs you can definitely put yourself on the back burner it's it's very busy and you know we were talking about this earlier me and sean you know i mean i think a lot of parents you kind of let yourself go and then once the child's at the certain point then you start going to the doctors and making sure you're okay but it can't be like that you have to make sure that you are a hundred percent so you can always be a hundred percent for your child because without it, you won't be able to maintain it. Yeah, and back to the uh, advocacy thing, you know, you are your child's biggest and best advocate. So, absolutely. Uh, you know, that is extremely important. And, you know, go out there, look into as much information as you can. Like Sam said, don't, um, don't just jump in on everything and believe everything you read out there. Compare different resources to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, Huge. I think some of the biggest things is you know bouncing ideas off of uh, uh, off of people, off of other parents. You know, I think speaking to other parents that have gone through the same thing, maybe getting involved in a uh, support group, uh, mm-hmm. so you can you know have other people that are going through similar situations, and you know, every one of these kids is completely different. Mm-hmm. Like Alex loves to say. If you've met one person with autism, you've met just that one person with autism. Definitely agree. So, you know, I, I think, you, you know, you really need to hear what those people have to say. It doesn't mean it's going to work for you and your child, but right. eventually when you go through that stuff, you're going to find things that, you know, are, are going to have an impact and are going to help. So Definitely. And, you know, a lot of times I would even vent and talk to our therapist. I mean, they become like family. You know, the therapists were in our home more than I saw my husband at the time. And, you know, I was, even when they left, it was hard. It was, I was very, very upset because they became a part of the situation and I leaned on them a lot and I vented to them a lot. And even though, you know, medically and things like that, they can't say, but even just hearing what other parents are doing, you know, it helps. So there's nobody better to know than a parent who has gone through it or a therapist. Yeah, and to kind of piggyback what you're saying earlier about like supports, like for me particularly, I'm very fortunate where my circle of friends is is full of speech language pathologists, OTs, uh, LPCs, social workers. I have a very big group of people that I I talk to about this stuff, and obviously we respect all our HIPAA laws. We don't use names, but we'll go down like one day, like I remember this is one day, I had about five people over, all therapists, and we just sat there like I have this client, I have that client. And we all left that session, or even that meeting of, amongst friends. We went to our therapy. We went to our set clients the next week. We saw, oh man, this worked, but this didn't work, but that worked really well. I didn't think of it like this before. Um, therapists, like if anyone is in my position now, my advice to you is grow your group of friends, especially if they're therapists, not just ABA therapists, but all forms of therapy. Therapy. Yeah. They are gonna share with you things that you may never have thought of. Find support. It's there. Just gotta, gotta, you gotta go get it. Yeah, and yeah. If, if you're doing ABA, that's another that you know brings up another point. If you're doing ABA, don't use one therapist if you can help it. I know with no, COVID, no. it's a little challenging right yeah. now. You don't want to be working with a ton of you know different people, but when you have the ability to work with multiple therapists, you get different points of view. Yeah, and your child interacts with different people in different ways. So. I, I mean, that's that. what we've seen, too, with the, all the different therapists. I mean, we've worked with, gosh, a lot, a dozen therapists now. 
So it's so funny you guys say that. I recently had a uh, a family who they were just got home with me coming to the house more, doing more hours, and I told them because I found out they were trying to get me in there over another clinician, and I told them, please don't do that because yeah, I'm here x amount of hours per week, and I'm giving this client very valuable information, giving you guys more valuable information, but. I don't know what the other guy has. He may be worse than me, but he may be a lot better. Uh, I'm open to that. You know, there's there's always someone smarter, bigger, and better than me. And I want to learn from those people, and the mm-hmm. family should take advantage of that. So, Sean, thank you for hitting that. And I know with COVID it's scary, but yeah, the therapists, they're, they're, they come in all shapes and sizes with a lot of different experience, a lot of different sense of input, and uh, families really, you know, they should take advantage of that. Definitely. Yeah. So before we wrap things up, is there anything we didn't discuss that you think is important to share with our listeners? Oh, man. There's so much I want to share. (laughs) Uh, For today, let's just call it as it is. Um, I really just want everyone to focus on self-preservation, self-care. Take care of yourself, then take care of your child. That, to me, is the strongest piece of advice I can leave with. Um, Make sure that you're taking care of yourself physically, mentally, socially. Socially is really tough nowadays. We know how it is with the pandemic. Take care of yourself. Yeah. Because uh, when I see families, like, when they seem happier and more relaxed, they project the that to their children. The, yeah. the therapist picks up on that. The rest of the house picks up on that. The animals pick up on it's it. An ener- and an that's, that's true because... And, and though mean, though hermetic in many ways, I still believe it's a very real thing. Yeah. And I, I totally believe in that because I remember when we started early intervention, you know, Sean and me would butt heads a lot because it was stressful. We just found out Grayson was autistic. We're starting therapy. He's working. I'm here alone, and days, some days were really, really, really hard. Um, and we would butt heads a lot. And you would notice on those days, Grayson wasn't the best that he could be. That was coming off on him. And I remember even the DI talking to me, you know, and kind of as a friend saying, okay, listen, they see all of that. They feel all of that. So you really have to make sure that everything is good with you guys so that the child sees the happiness and yeah. the love and it's just much better for them. Much better. All right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up and leave it there. Thank you guys for Sam. having me. I had a blast. And Thank hopefully you we can so do this much, again Sam. soon. Yeah, it's a super uh, great interview. We're happy to have you. And hopefully we'll be able to bring you back again. For Autism, Building the, the Puzzle, One Piece at a time. time. I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. Signing, Signing off. off. Take care, everybody.